So as a church, from the beginning, we've wanted to create a community of Jesus followers who were in community and creating community because we think that everybody needs a crew, a tribe, a squad, or whatever it is that we're calling these things these days. Because, you know, like, like a couple of weeks ago, uh, months ago, or whatever, it was hashtag squad goals or something. But I think somebody told me that that's not a thing anymore. I'm like, well, what's the thing? And they're like, I don't know what the new thing is. It's just not squad goals anymore. So I was going to call this sermon squad goals, and they, they, they blew it up on me. So I see how that is, you know. So today we're going to call it circles and rows, circles and rows. Andy Stanley, um, the pastor of North Point Church in Atlanta, one of the most um, well-respected pastors in the country, his father, um, an icon, uh, Charles Stanley, a Bible teacher extraordinaire. Um, he said this statement, he said, circles are better than rows. And he did this in a sermon a couple of years ago, some of which I'm just stealing today. Can I get a good amen for that? If you're not cheating, you're not trying. Come on, somebody, you know what I'm saying? It's a word from the Lord for you today. <laughs> uh, I should just keep my mouth closed, you know what I'm saying? But in fairness, um, I didn't come up with all this. All right, he's smarter than me, and you'll be able to tell quickly, all right? Circles are better than rows, and that's where I want to go down the road today. And, and, and the, the truth about that is that there are things that can happen face-to-face at a coffee table, in a, in a living room, at Starbucks, that will never happen shoulder-to-shoulder in the way you are now. You guys are all shoulder-to-shoulder. You're in rows. Rows are fantastic. That's why I'm saying circles and rows, because great stuff happens in rows. But we think the best stuff happens in circles in terms of how to change your life in the way that Mandy and Barry just described. So I want to speak to that for a few minutes today and then give you an opportunity to respond this week and next week to sign up if that's your deal. Uh, we'll be doing this for the next two weekends. We won't be talking about it again next weekend. We're going to start a brand new series next weekend that I promise you is going to be, I think, a game changer for so many people. And it's the kind of sermon series that I want you to bring your friends and your neighbors. I know it's Labor Day weekend, but if you're in town, come in. And if you're not in town, we're going to pray that it rains on you. I'm kidding. We're not really. We're not, we're not going to do that to you. It will happen, though. And I'm just kidding. Um, but if you're here, man, bring folks out, because for the next five weeks, this sermon series, um, I'm, I, ha- I hesitate to even tell you what we're calling it, because you're going to be like, that's the weirdest thing I've ever heard. But just trust me, we're going to talk about things that are going to help you uh, navigate life, help you navigate um, safely through life in financial ways, in relational ways, in spiritual ways, in, moral, in terms of morality. It's going to be very, very helpful. And uh, I want you to come and I want you to bring folks. Um, so why are circles uh, better than rows when it comes to life change, like transformation? And I'm going to give you a few reasons. Number one, because we drift. As human beings, we drift. I'm going to give you a perfect, for instance, of this. Um, I have, I like to fish. I'm not much of a hunter. I never was very good at it. I can shoot fairly well, but I just, it got weird for me. Like I just killed that thing and now I don't know what to do with it. I'm going to have to get somebody to help me because I don't know what to do with it. And, and it was kind of weird. It, they, it was, it was like, it was manly because I, 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 I was a hunter, but then it was unmanly because I didn't know what to do with the deer. Come on, somebody. So it's like, but fish, I can figure that out. Um, so, and, and then I bought a kayak a couple of years ago, um, uh, ostensibly for exercise, but really it's just because it was a new toy and I'm a dude and dudes like to gather large, expensive toys. Can I get an amen on that, fellas, right? 
And, and, and so I started taking up fishing with, in kayaks, which I loved. It was really intimate. You're in the water early in the morning. You're out there. You're not above the water. You're in the water. And you, you, know, you, set, you can see things really well, and you can experience it. And I love especially to swim, or, or rather kayak and fish in rivers. Um, so I call a buddy of mine up in San Marcos. He's a pastor of Promised Land Church, great, the biggest church in San Marcos, fantastic guy. We love to fish together, and we love to go uh, kayaking uh, together. And so I meet him up there. The, the, the San Marcos River is clear. It's beautiful. You can see the fish, which is a, a blessing and a cursing because they won't. You're like, dude, he's right there, but he won't bite my lure. You know. Anyway, so when we get there, he's like, bro, bro, listen to me. You see this little lure right here? It was green, and it was like a worm-looking thing, but it wasn't a worm. He goes, dude, I, I, got, I, call, I called a local guide, and he said, this is what they were biting on. I got two of them. I'm going to give you one. Like, sweet, because I'm really terrible at fishing. Uh, and I, I'm not terrible at casting and putting it. I'm just terrible at catching. You just mean that's the, that's the thing. Um, so he gets, we, I get my kayak in the water, and we get it all set up. He gets his kayak in the water, and he goes, get in. I'll, help, I'll hold on to it. I get in immediately. I fall over, because that's what I do. I fall over, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm drowning under upside down, and then I get in. Very first time I ever got in that kayak, my wife was sitting there, fell in the water, upside down, flailing around. So what I do. Got on my first bicycle uh, I just bought last year. First ride, crashed it. That's just what I, that's how I roll. Um, so I, I get up, I'm flailing around. He helps me get it. He gives me the lure. I put, had already put it on. And so he's about to get in his boat. And he goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't have my paddle. I don't have my paddle. And so he just takes off and leaves. He leaves. Now, mind you, we're at a, there's a dam at our back. And there's a ripping current right there. And so he just leaves. And I'm like, bro, 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 your kayak. And, and, and it just drifts, and it drifts away, and, and he's like, get it, just get it for me. And he goes and gets his paddle, and I'm like, how do I get it, you know? I, and, and, and so I'm paddling over to get it, and the next thing I know, I'm over on the other side of the river, and I'm going through tree branches with, with like spiders. Come on, man, spiders in your hair. Dude, I will slap myself to death getting a spider off my own head. Like, I don't care. Like, it'd probably be better for it to bite me because I'm going to beat myself down. You know, just flailing around, and, and my lure gets caught in a tree. Pow! Breaks my thing, man. And I'm chasing his boat down. He comes back over. He's like, what are we going to do? What? He's yelling at me. I'm like, I don't know. And, and it just keeps going, and now it's picking up speed, and we're just flying. He's running through the woods. Where's it at? Where are you at, Daddy? Can't see me going around the bend. in f- t- Ten minutes. He, he finally swims out to it. And I'm like, bro, what am I going to hang on to it with? It's a river. It's mad. It's, it's not like a giant. It's not the Mississippi. It's a creek, man. And finally, after all this, we catch it. And I have to put a new lure on because I lost a good magic lure because of him because we drift, you see. And, and he caught fish all day long on that one lure. I never got a bite, not a nibble because we drift, you see. That's the point. We drift. In the, there was a point. You're like, what, what, what is this message about? Circles and rows and creeks, kayaks. Yeah. We drift. In, in life, we drift. And here's the thing I want you to notice about this. We naturally drift away from everything that is good and holy and wholesome. By nature, we drift away from good. We do. You ever notice this? You, you rarely drift in a good direction personally. Isn't that right? right? You rarely drift in a good direction in terms of your health. You don't ever wake up one day after drifting for a long time and go, I'm more healthy than I've ever been. 
right? This has never happened to anyone in the history of the world, um, right? You rarely drift in a good direction in any capacity. In, in, in fact, if it's good for us, what do we do? We drift from it. That's just true. Exercise, diets, budgets, healthy relationships. You do not drift into a healthy relationship. If you want a healthy relationship, you work at it. It's uphill. You got, it, it takes effort. It takes intentionality. You have to consistently try to keep it healthy. You have to examine it. You have to, you have to uh, give yourself a grade. How am I doing? It's like, it's like walking up a downhill escalator. You ever do this when you were a kid in the mall, right? And if the moment that you stop walking, what happens? You drift. That's life. You got to, in terms of the things that are good and holy and wholesome, you got to paddle, man, because you drift. And, and when we drift relationally, we drift in bad directions because we all have a tendency to drift and drifting is never good for us. And our relationship with God takes intentionality. Our relationship with God takes time. It takes uh, discipline. It takes um, some delayed gratification, right? Because if we're not intentional with our relationship with God, it begins to drift because, now this is important, the gravitational pull of life generally is going to be in the wrong direction. That's true. It's the sinful nature at work in us. The human default mode is to drift towards the wrong. It's true. It's how we're wired up. The current of life rarely takes us upstream in the right direction. In every area of life that's important, we have to swim upstream because we will drift. All of the good stuff in life is upstream. As we said in January in the series, it requires uphill habits. Here's what we know. It's worth it. Right? Any good thing that you've ever achieved in your life that required uphill, that required effort, when you got to the end of it, when, when, you, when you overcame the obstacles, when you got out of a situation that was dragging you down, when you got healthy, when, when your relationships got better, it took effort, but it was worth it. Can I get an amen? Those of you who've ever lost weight 400 times in a row in every year like I have, every time you're like, it was so worth it. I will never go back. Snickers. Right, donuts, you know, start getting shaky about donuts. Like I have to pass by those donuts every week. I want to eat all of them. I can't just eat one donut. I need seven. <laughs> Is it just me, right? Um, and, and here's one of the core tenets of Christianity. And, and here's one of the things that's so important and so central to us um, as a church is that when it comes to swimming upstream, which everybody who's going to achieve anything good has to do, we have not been called to swim it alone. We have been called to swim together. My buddy, had I not been there to at least slow his kayak down, it would have been in Galveston Bay right now. No, no, sorry, Corpus Bay, Corpus Christi, right? Wherever those rivers end up. I don't know where they all go, right? We haven't been called to swim alone. We've been called to swim in a pack. It's the power of community. And when you are in community with, when you are in friendship with, when you are in a circle with people who share your values and are trying to get to the same destination you are, it is much easier to do the hard things that life requires of us. Try losing weight in your house when everybody else is not eating healthy. Isn't that just the worst, right? Try getting fit by yourself, but you hire a, a trainer, you go work out with a group of people who call you to account. You didn't show up today, bro. You're slipping, you know? 
bow up, man. Come on, right? It's hard when you're doing it by yourself, but when you have people, it gets much, much easier. So first point is we drift. Come on, you already forgot? It's like one, two words. I'm a powerful teacher. I'm an amazing. I'm incredible at it. Everybody just gets it right away and goes with me. We thank you very much. So circles are better than rows because in circles, we watch each other's backs, right? In the book of Hebrews, um, this first century, possibly second generation Christian writes, we don't know who he or she is, writes about the importance of community and specifically talks about the issue of sort of not swimming upstream alone, alone. And here's what the author tells us. Hebrews chapter three, it's divided. The Bible, by the way, if you're new to it, is divided up into chapters and verses for, for us, for our help. That's not the way it was originally written. It was just one long thing. Like Hebrews was just one long letter. Um, but they, they, they sort of wanted to help us out when they, when they transcribed it and, and, and translated it. And this is the way they did it. It's very helpful. Hebrews three, verse 12. Here's what the writer says. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. That's the verse that we're going we're gonna to unpack all the rest of the way through here. Now, who in their right mind would turn away from the living God, right? Who in their right mind would know the difference between right and wrong and the difference between what God wants you to do and what God doesn't want you to do and then just choose to do wrong. Who would do this? All of us. Come on, everybody. It's all of you and me, right? All of us do this. He's saying, for those of you who are Christians, who are followers of Jesus, see to it that none of you has an unbelieving, sinful heart that turns away from the living God. In other words, he recognizes the fact that we each have the capacity to turn away from the living God, to drift off course, to walk over to the truck to get our paddle and forget the main thing, which is my boat is now gone, right? If we really think about it, who would say no to God? Yet in our own ways, we've all done it. And the writer of Hebrews says, regardless of what's happened, you and I have the capacity to turn away from the living God. Why? why? Why do we do this oftentimes in college? Why do we do this on business trips when nobody else is around? Why, why do we do this when we feel pressure from peers? Why, why do we do this after a string of bad luck where we're like, forget God? Well, why do we do it when things are going so well after a string of good luck? You see, we're no respecters of good or bad luck. We'll turn away from God over good stuff because we start thinking it was we did, that we did it. We'll turn away from him for bad stuff. We'll blame him because he didn't do the stuff that we should have been doing, right? The, the interesting thing is, in this verse, the solution to the problem of turning away from the living God when things get d- difficult, the, the solution is in the verse. But the, 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 the thing I want you to notice here is that it's not an individual command. This is a group command. Look at the verse again. See to it, brothers and what? Sisters, collectively, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. It's a plural thing. It's not an individual thing. In other words, here's what the author is saying. You all need to see about each other. You all need to have each other's backs. That's what he's saying. 
That's the point. You need to see about each other. You need to check up on each other. You need to be looking around. And it's very challenging to do this in rows. You need a squad. This is plural. This is a group thing. You need to see about each other so that you don't have an unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. The turn, listen now, the turn away from the living God, it always happens in our hearts. When we begin to turn away from God, when we begin to lose interest in the things of God, when we begin to drift off course, the drift always happens on the inside. We only notice it later on on the outside. It always starts in the heart. The drift begins with a temptation. The drift begins with some doubts that we never say, hey, I got some doubts. Can you help me with this? We just keep it and internalize it ourselves. The drift begins with a question that we never ask anybody to see if maybe there's an answer. Like, and, and so what will happen is we'll be like, ah, I'm not so sure about that anymore. I'm, I'm not so sure I believe that anymore. I'm, I'm kind of getting tired of all that. I'm not really interested in that. Uh, there's other things that have sort of taken place in my life over this. The drift always begins within, and nobody knows it unless somebody knows you enough to see it and ask about you. And that's the thing about rows. Point number three, rows don't know. Rows don't know. You're sitting on a row right now with people, some of which you know, but probably after about the third or fourth person, you don't know them. Right? You're like looking at them right now. I kind of don't know that person. Right? Look around. Do you know everybody in the room? It's a small room. This is the smallest of our four, three crowds, right? But you're awesome because you're here, right? Thank you. I love you, man. You're awesome. This is the best. This is the smartest of the bunch, clearly. Don't mind if I say that next, next service, but I meant it in this service, Okay. <laughs> Rose don't know. Nobody knows unless somebody has access, listen to me, to the real you. Not the, not the church you, not the office you, the real you. A drifting heart doesn't show in a row. It doesn't show in a row because we're so good at walking in here and looking good. Like some of you, you got in the minivan this morning and everybody was mad at each other. You got in the SUV or the truck or the car, or whatever it is that you drove here in, and everybody was yelling at each other and everybody was bickering at each other. But as soon as you pulled up in the parking lot and saw all the other church people, you're like, hey, everybody, wipe off that frown. Get a smile on. We'll deal with this later. Yeah, man. We're good at it at church. We're good at faking at church. It's just true, isn't it? We're in a row, and everybody looks good in the row, but then you get back into your family circle in the van when you get home, and everything falls apart again. How many donuts did you eat? You know, what's wrong with this church? They give them 17 donuts. Kids all jacked up on sugar. You know, and we send them home with you. You're welcome. You know what I'm saying? You're taking good care of them up there. Well, cholesterol's high, and they're eight. You know what I'm saying? No, nobody knows in a row, man. The, the only way anybody's going to know about your sinful, unbelieving, drifting heart is if you're in a circle with them and they have access to the real you. Rows don't know, and, and circles don't always know either, frankly, but there's a much better chance in a circle for somebody to know you and see you drifting than there is in a row. That's true, isn't it? How many times have I gotten a call over the years as a pastor from a wife or a husband telling me that they're in real trouble and when I say, well, who, who, who knows? Who, who are you guys working with around this? They'll say almost always, nobody knows but us. Rose don't know. People you're shoulder to shoulder with don't know. But oftentimes they know in a circle. And that's why circles are 
are better than rows. Otherwise, we swim alone. Otherwise, we struggle upstream alone. Rows don't know. Back to Hebrews. I'm going to read it again. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily as long as it's called today. Now, this little Greek word translated encourage here, it doesn't mean encourage like, hey, good job, everybody, or, or, or you're looking good, or right on, right? It doesn't mean that. In the capacity, in the context, it actually means to appeal to, to exhort, to urge, to strongly beg, to implore, to entreat. It's a very sort of visceral word, very strenuous, strong word. What the writer is saying is, I want you to be in each other's lives. I want you to know what's going on in each other's lives. I want you to be able to detect uh, when somebody begins to drift, I want you to notice when they don't show up or when they start, start, start missing consistently. I want you to notice when their attitude goes south. I want you to notice when they start talking crazy, right? I, I want you to be in their life to the degree that you can, here's the key, say something when you see something beginning to drift in their lives. Because we've all seen people drift but we didn't want to butt in and we didn't feel like it was any of our business and we didn't want to, 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 be, to be nosy, you know, Nelly or whatever. And we all sort of make excuses about, about why, God, they're about to do something really dumb and we're not going to say anything because it's really none of our business and I don't really want to get involved in that. But in a group, in, in a squad, man, you just feel obliged to say something when you see something so, so that a wife never has to struggle alone between something that only she and her husband know about. So a husband doesn't have to ever struggle alone about something that only he knows about. So, so that a teenager doesn't have to struggle alone with something that's going on in his house or her house that nobody knows except that little family circle. He says, I want you to be in each other's lives in such a way to the extent that when somebody begins to drift, when somebody gets to start going away from the shore and they don't even know it because they're over here not paying attention, that somebody from your crew, from your circle, from your squad has access and permission to say something to you. In, in my life, I have about five different men, and of course my wife, who have get, I've given permission. I've said to them, please, please say something to me if you see me drifting off course. If you see me about to make a bad decision, please say something to me. But I gave them permission, and that's the critical thing. Now think for a minute. This is not true of all of you, but for some of you, um, think about the family that you grew up with in. And think about how different your family might have become and turned out had your mother and dad had people in their lives who would have said, I don't know if you should do that. How different would your families be? And as a result, how different would your childhood have been growing up if your parents had had somebody in their lives going, I don't think you should do that. Come on, that's powerful, isn't it? Circles are better than rows because rows don't know. Number four, circles are better than rows because of sin's deceitfulness. Hebrews 3 again. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily. So it's a rhythm thing. It's constantly going on. As long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Now, this phrase, sin's deceitfulness, is an interesting phrase because the writer is actually personifying sin. 
The Apostle Paul did this all throughout his writings, which is why one of the reasons why some people think that it was Paul that wrote this, that he was making sin, um, uh, giving it personhood almost, uh, making it an entity. And they did this because of the next fact that I want to give you is that is this, is that sin is alive. To think about it as a living, active thing on the inside of us is actually helpful because here's what he's saying, that sin has the capacity to deceive. He doesn't say, beware of the devil's deceitfulness. He says, beware of sin's deceitfulness. We think of sin as an activity. We think of sin as a, a, a things that we do, but it's deeper than that. Its potential is lying within every single one of us to do the wrong things. In other words, sin is not passive. It is like a cancer that is spreading. It is not just sitting there dormant, minding its own business. It's, it's working. Now, now, the way that we experience that isn't a little voice from the inside going, hey, let's cheat on our wife today, or hey, let's get drunk or do drugs. I don't, I don't know what it is. It, that would be super helpful, because then we'd be like, no, right? The way that this actually works is we talk ourselves into dumb things. It's, 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 it's us. We, we deceive ourselves and we say things like, well, I deserve a break. I deserve to do this. Right? She, she practically forced me to do this. It's like I didn't even have any choice in the matter. Right? Who, who would blame me at work if they knew what was going on? I, I, I don't think I want to be married to this person anymore. I don't even know if I love them anymore. You know, I think I'd be happier if. I think I'd be more fulfilled if. I think I'd be more satisfied if. That's sin's deceitfulness. Beware of it, he says. We have all this self-talk, and before long, we start believing the crazy things that we tell ourselves. And here's what the author of the text is saying. The best defense against the deceit, the self-deceit, uh, uh, the best defense against talking ourselves into doing terrible things and, and unwise things, the best defense against sin is not you. The best defense against sin is not me. The best defense against sin is we. I thought I might get one, amen. I was just waiting to see if there was like a... Like, I was like, just a latent one. Like, oh yeah, that's right, amen. It's all right, it's all right, y'all leave me hanging up here. What, what, what are you telling yourself these days? In your head, in your self-talk. Like, what I would encourage you to do is whatever it is that you're saying to yourself in your head, say it to somebody else. What, what, what is it you're telling yourself these days that if you were to tell somebody else, they would be like, you have lost your mind, right? Here's the power of a group is that what, what you've been thinking when, when that temptation starts within, it always starts within. It starts in the heart. That's what we've been saying. It starts in the heart. When it happens on the inside, when you say it on the outside, they'll start to repeat back to you what you just said, and then suddenly it doesn't sound like the best idea anymore. So like, like let, let's say, I don't know, I, I've been thinking, like say I come to you guys and go, I've been thinking about shaving my head completely bald and ripping out my eyebrows and then getting a tattoo of like Winnie the Pooh from the eyebrows all the way to my neck fat. Like, like, like what, do you, what do you think about it? And so like, let's just go down this. So, so you're saying that what you're thinking about doing is shaving your head bald and then ripping out your eyebrows and then getting a Winnie the Pooh tattoo from your eyebrows to your neck fat. And then you'd be like, well, when you say it like that, it sounds like a crazy idea. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yes. Go on. Let's go. Let's 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 dig into that for a season. How does that make you feel? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. They may think 
um, that you're crazy, but they may keep you from actual crazy. You see what I'm saying? Like if you get the self-talk out into the public, into the, into the circle, when your tribe looks at you and says, bro, that's crazy. Then you know what? Now, you, the, the, now that, that you say it that way, I, I'm starting to see that you're right. I'm going to do that. Why, why am I going to do that now? Right? The best defense against sin's deceitfulness is, is we. What if somebody had been there for your father and for your mother 20 years ago? What if somebody had been there for you 25, 30 years ago when you were about to do what you did? This is the power of community. This is the power of a circle. This is why we're called to live in relationship with other people. This is why we're called to live in a circle, not just in rows. If you will allow somebody in, while that thought or while that idea is still just within, it will keep you from things that you'll regret later. It'll keep you from drifting into sin's deceitfulness. And then he wraps up this whole thought with a couple of verses that looks like he changed the subject. Let me, let me read them to you real quick. And I'm going to tell you how they connect to what came before. Hebrews 3 verse 14. We have come to share in Christ. If indeed, look at this. We hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. We, we have all come to share in Christ, brothers and sisters, he just referenced. If indeed we hold our, underline this if, you're, if you got your Bible, our original conviction firmly to the very end. Here's how you know that you're in Christ, he says. Here's how you know if you're a follower of Jesus, that you hang on to that original decision that you made as a child or as a teenager or at a camp or at church one day or as a young adult, that you hold on to that original, that initial decision. Remember that time for you, those of you who are followers of Jesus. Do you remember that day that you first gave your life to Jesus? I want you to think about that. That first day, maybe the day you got baptized. The, the, the day that you said yes to following Jesus, the day that you said, Lord, would you be my Lord? Would you be my Savior? Would you be the forgiver of my sins? Do you remember that conviction that you felt? Do you remember how fired up that you got when you really re realized what Jesus had done for you on, on the cross? He says, the way that you know that you are in Christ is that you are still connected to God through Jesus because you are hanging on to that original conviction. This is so huge because if the drift goes unchecked, it almost always leads to unbelief. If the drift that begins your heart with a crazy idea, a bad idea, if it goes unchecked, it leads to unbelief so that that little thing that begins in our heart or, or in our minds makes its way into our marriage, makes its way into our finances or makes its way into our relationships with God. He says, listen, that little itty bitty drift that begins as one small thing has the potential to lead to total unbelief. One thing can lead to everything. That one thing can lead you to a place where you don't believe in any of it anymore. We've all seen this happen before. For some of you, that's your story. When you decided to disconnect in your marriage or disconnect and do your own thing, it wasn't a theological decision. This wasn't about, oh, I don't believe in God anymore. I'm going to become an atheist. It was never that way. It never starts like that. 
It doesn't start with, oh, I met a, a, a girl, now I don't believe in God. It's like, no, you met a girl, but after running several moral stop signs, and you followed that track for enough time, now you don't believe in God. I met this guy, I took this job, I went on this trip, it always starts with the smallest things, and the next thing you know, it's impacted your whole faith system. And this is his point. He says, you must hang on to your original conviction. And the way that you hang on to your original conviction, your original decision to follow Jesus, is by not allowing yourself to be tricked by the deceitfulness of sin. And it's almost always the lure of some sin that draws you away from your first destination. And you drift away, and you drift unattended for too long. You can lose everything how do I keep myself from being deceived by the deceitfulness of sin by being in relationships where other people have permission to speak into your life because one thing has the potential to undermine everything and listen when people who are wise and have permission to speak into your life actually speak into your life you have to listen. And if you want to be really next level, you'll actually do what it is they say for you to do. Here's the summary of what he's saying. I want to put it on the screen. See to one another on a regular basis so that none of you is tricked by sin and drifts away from the faith that has made such a difference in your life up until now. See about one another. Have one another's back. Get a squad, get a group, get in in an environment where people have permission to speak into your life. Get into each other's business a little bit. Prod and pry and ask pesky questions. Group up on a regular basis so that none of you gets tricked by sin and drift away and lose the whole thing. To avoid the drift, somebody's gotta have access, permission to, appeal, to exhort, to implore, and if need to, to beg, because at the end of the day, at the end of the day, regardless of what your background is, regardless of how long it is you've been a believer, regardless of whether or not you're a Christian, here's what we know about all of us. Every one of us needs seeing to. Every one of us needs somebody watching our back. That's true, isn't it? Amen. Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, thank you so very much. God, that you have wired us up for community, that we are not supposed to swim alone, that we're not supposed to try all by ourselves, that we're not supposed to try to make it all happen all alone, but that you put other people in our lives and in our frame of reference, God. You put other people in our world, Lord, that if we'll just tap into the resources around us, just the people around us. God, what we've always said is that wise people know when they don't know. And what makes them wise is that they go to people who do know. So, Lord, there is wisdom in the multitude of counsel. There's safety in in, in the multitude of counsel. There's there's refuge. There's a place to grow. There's a place to protect. There's a place to, to be strengthened in groups. And so, Lord, I pray, God, that some of us would feel compelled, Lord, that maybe we've never done a group before, or maybe we've used to do groups, but we stopped and we said, I'm too busy. I got too many other things going on. I got, I got work to do. I got ministry to do. But Lord, may none of those things distract us from doing the thing that will help us probably the most, which is to group up, to be part of a, of a group of people who have our back, who love us, who protect us, who will speak into our lives. So I pray these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said a good amen. Amen. Hey, thanks guys so much. God, let's give God a hand clap. Amen.